Coming up on Word Matters, does Wordle make you nauseated or nauseous? Neither, we hope. I'm Emily Brewster, and Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode, Merriam-Webster editors Amon Shea, Peter Sokolowski, and I explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. Some listeners want to know if working with words professionally makes a dictionary editor better or worse at Wordle. Listeners Carrie and Rune write, This is a topic of great discussion in my household. Are you all better at Wordle because you know all the words or worse at Wordle because you know all the words? (laughs) I have a third option, which is that I am worse at Wordle because I don't know all the words. How about that one? We don't know all the words. (laughs) That's for sure. How about just worse at Wordle, period? How often do you absolutely fail at getting the Wordle word, Ammon? I don't know. Every couple of weeks. I'm really not good at it at all. It takes me till close to the end. And part of the problem, I think, is that I like obscure words. And if I have the choice between train, T-R-A-I-N, or riot, meaning mirthful, (laughs) I'm going to go for riot because it's just a nicer word. If I can play forte are fetor, an offensive smell. I'm going to go for fetor because the wordle should be fetor. It shouldn't be forte. (laughs) And it never is. It never is fetor and it never is riant. But I like to think that it should be. (laughs) Do you think that you can somehow push the wordle gods toward these more obscure, lovely or not so lovely terms that you prefer? No, but I'm not winning any cash or prizes from this. I've accepted that I'm not very good at it. I'm going to stick with what I like. I think I'm only moderately successful at Wordle. I play in a text thread. My sisters and my aunt, we all report our Wordle scores. And sometimes I'm ahead and sometimes I'm not. So, Well, I've never actually played it, so I don't know. The reason I've never played it is for some reason it just doesn't attract me. I love words, but it's like Scrabble in a way where the meaning has nothing to do with the score. And people who are really good at crosswords, really good at boggle, that recombination of letters, which Ammon just described, I don't have that gift. And I really think it's an amazing skill. And I've been around some of the great Scrabble players, and I attend the Scrabble tournaments. It's almost like magic to me that they have developed this way to look at a word as a set of constituent parts that that they move around, whereas I think of it strictly connected to its meaning and its history, and, and maybe its phonetics. I just don't break words down that way. So I think I would probably just be frustrated if I did try to play these games, which is maybe for the best that I don't. But I think a lot of people ask a similar question about people who work with words the way we do. Are you good at Scrabble, for example? And I remember, I believe, a kind of Twitter conversation amongst a group of people online who have been lexicographers or who are today. A consensus was arrived that most of them don't really play Scrabble that often, if ever. Ammon, do you play Scrabble? I used to be a competitive player. I do have that disease that Peter talks about. I cannot look at the word travel without seeing varlet. If I look at the word education, I see cautioned. I'm constantly thinking of what does that word break down to? How can that word be reconstituted? What else does that spell? And I used to play in tournaments when I was a kid. I gave it up because Scrabble really does have almost nothing to do with language. It has to do with mathematical probability, memorization, and unfettered aggression. That's because you were a young player. You were basically a Scrabble hustler, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? You would pretend not to know words and then swoop in and... I did do nasty tricks like that in tournaments. I would wear like a Led Zeppelin t-shirt and a red plaid (laughs) shirt over it. and, And then I'd be the idiot 
unschooled 13 year old and then do things like you play oxes because people will challenge you because i know that the plural of ox is oxen and then of course it turns out that when used as a pejorative ox takes an s for the plural (laughs) form and try to intentionally play words that would make people challenge you it was mean like i said scrabble is not a polite game i would play against serious high-level players occasionally and they're just totally different creatures there are people who don't even speak english who were phenomenal scrabble players because they've memorized tens of thousands hundred thousand words they can play the game far better than I ever could. Right. I always tell people that I am disappointingly mediocre at Scrabble. I have not memorized all the two-letter and three-letter right. words. I have not memorized the Q words that take no U. And to be really good at Scrabble, that's what you need to do. You yes. need to treat it oh, yes. like a formula. It's math. I do attend the Scrabble tournaments. I remember arriving midday to one of them, and I just sort of popped in to say hello. And one of the organizers, who is a championship-level player, an old friend, and we said hello, we shook hands, and I said, look, I'm going to grab some lunch. Do you have a recommendation? Because he had been in the town a little bit. And he looked into the middle distance, and he said, yeah, around the corner, eight letters starts with M. He was absolutely honest. He couldn't remember the name of the restaurant, but he remembered that. And he was right. I forget (laughs) what it was. But I thought, well, that's exactly the way you think about these things. And I love it. I think it's terrific. It's just not the way my mind works. I have to say that I'm a little resentful of Wordle. I was seeing people talking about Wordle on the Twitter and on the Facebook, and I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to play that game. And then I started playing it, and it was fun, and now I play it every day. The nice thing about it for me is that there is only one to do. You can't waste a lot of time on Wordle because when it's done, it's done. I have found that it was actually a gateway game for me. And now I also (laughs) daily play Quirtle, Mm -hmm. which is four Wordle puzzles at once. You get nine chances to guess four distinct words. I'm not actually happy how (laughs) Wordle has affected my gaming life. I was maybe better off not playing word games daily. Because Wordle is a word game, people turn to the dictionary. I don't know if it's for help or just to confirm five letters in this order is a word. But as a consequence, in our dictionary data, we often see five-letter words that are not only spiking but accumulating. And there was one point a couple months ago where our homepage, which displays the top 10 lookups that are refreshed every 30 seconds, so you can kind of see a progression of current curiosity. Often that's connected to the news of the day or weather events or something. But in this case, number one was Hodge, number two was Podge, number three was Bodge, and number four was Dodge. And clearly, (laughs) this was a sequence of Wordle clues. And the problem here, of course, is if you want to play in the proper way, you don't necessarily want to have these spoilers or these clues. As we were getting ready to record this segment... I had not yet completed the day's Wordle, Mm -hmm. and I went to our homepage. I had only entered two words, and I saw today's winning word. So if you don't want to spoil your Wordle fun, you should not look at our homepage until you've completed the puzzle. (laughs) That's right. But it shows the unbelievable richness of vocabulary for five-letter words in English. Absolutely. One thing about Wordle is that the Wordle word does not tend to be an obscure, lovely word that only Ammon knows. But it does tell us something that these are so immensely popular. Words attract people for different reasons and in different ways, and I'd celebrate that for sure. And it is fun. You're listening to Word Matters. I'm Emily Brewster. Up ahead, we have more of your questions. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. 
Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Word Matters listeners get 25% off all dictionaries and books at shop.merriam-webster.com by using the promo code MATTERS at checkout. That's matters, M-A-T-T-E-R-S, at shop.merriam-webster.com. I'm Ammon Shea. Do you have a question about the origin, history, or meaning of a word? Email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. I'm Peter Sokolowski. Join me every day for The Word of the Day, a brief look at the history and definition of one word, available at merriam-webster.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more podcasts from New England Public Media, visit the NEPM Podcast Hub at nepm.org. A listener wants us to weigh in on the difference between nauseated and nauseous, which doesn't turn our stomachs in the least. Susan writes to ask, My mother, who was a physician, always insisted on using the term nauseated to describe an upset stomach. She would say that nauseous meant that you are making other people feel sick. But everyone uses nauseous to mean sick to their stomach. Has that word migrated from its original definition? I would say, yes, it has. This is a usage issue that I was certainly raised with. The idea is that nauseous can only mean causing nausea, as in that is a nauseous smell or a nauseous idea. And a nauseous person would be someone who actually causes you physical discomfort. And the prescribed usage is that if you feel sick, you should say that you are nauseated, not nauseous. This disputed use, this I feel nauseous or I'm nauseous, that dates to the early 19th century. I think uh, the OED's date for that particular usage, the earliest example that they have is from 1839. But it really didn't become common until the mid-20th century, it seems. This means that the disputed use is actually, it's about 200 years old almost, but it also means that it's 200 years newer than the earliest uses, because the earliest uses of nauseous was in the 17th century, it was used to describe someone who tends to be sick. So, you know, this, my poor nauseous <laughs> child often feels sick. And then it was used to describe something that causes nausea, which is the use that is still prescribed today. And then it was used to describe a nasty flavor or a smell. That sense still exists. And also to describe something that is repulsive or loathsome. A nauseous feeling, that dates also to the 18th century. How do you two feel about nauseous and nauseated? I feel pretty good. You don't feel nauseous about it? <laughs> Not at all. No, no. <laughs> I am totally comfortable with either one. I have heard of this distinction, and I choose not to observe it in my own speech and writing. I consider it, at this point in time, a near meaningless distinction, because I think it is quite clear from context whether one is feeling the nausea or inflicting it. Yes. Also, the word nauseous, meaning causing someone to feel sick, that role is more often communicated by the word nauseating now, isn't it? True. Yep. I think that it's also quite clear in that if something is causing nausea, it is typically an agent, not a person. So that food 
is nauseating, you could say, or it made me feel nauseous. I don't see anything that's unclear about that use of nauseous. Ammon's, of course, correct, because no one is going to misunderstand if you use these words. I feel like this is another case of the very convenient and attractive application of logic to linguistics, where the linguistics don't support it whatsoever, but it's comforting to many people to have a logical distinction, like with further and farther, for example. There's no etymological reason. They're identical words. And yet, it's a convenient breakdown of the meanings. One is literal distance. One is metaphorical, in the case of further and farther. And nauseated and nauseous, I feel, is like that. It's never going to be misunderstood. At the same time, some people like this kind of precision, but they're imposing it. It's important to know that you're choosing to make this kind of razor-thin distinction. And I think I do make this distinction. I do make further and farther also. I just find it's, it's an easy way to think about these words and kind of reminds me, oh, yes, there are two of these. When you get right down to it, of course, Ammon's right. No one's going to misunderstand if you use nauseated or nauseous. I think it's interesting that the writer notes that the person who made this distinction was her mother, who was a physician. Certainly, if your field employs a certain term in a very specialized context, that term to you can offend your sensibilities if people are using a term that has this very particular designation in your field, and you hear people using it in a way that is imprecise or that goes against that particular meaning, I can certainly understand how it would be irksome. It's all about authority, ultimately. Someone who's in the field knows the vocabulary, and people look to the dictionary often as upholders of this distinction, whereas what we do is reflect the actual usage, which may, in these cases, be not a definitive answer for anybody. Right. We talk as lexicographers about how it's not so important to observe these distinctions in general use. People understand what they mean. And I think that's true. But we also do have to acknowledge that in jargon, in certain fields, that these distinctions do make a great difference. So, for instance, we define concrete and cement as largely interchangeable because that is how people use them. However, if you are building a house <laughs> or you're building a road, it is worth making the distinction between these two aggregate forms. And Likewise, if you're a physician, as you pointed out, Emily, I think there are a number of cases in which these distinctions may, in fact, be very important. So that's not to say that you should have to distinguish between them in every other form of spoken or written English, but that there are very specific ways in which, yes, distinctions can be very, very important. I can certainly understand a doctor wanting to know that a nauseous patient, is that a patient who is making the staff nauseous, making the <laughs> right. staff nauseated, or is that a patient who is feeling sick to their stomach? It's interesting to me that nauseous is increasingly doing the job of filling in figurative use. As I said a few minutes ago, that nauseating, it's more frequently the word that is used to describe something that makes a person feel unwell. And nauseous is finding its home more often in contexts that have to do with the figurative use. So nauseous corruption or mm. nauseous hypocrisy, that is, that turns our stomachs figuratively. I think that's a very interesting development. The fact is that the words, their meanings are moving targets. They're constantly shifting and it gets used in one context, in one collocation that might be very evocative. And then that collocation can take off. And we've got a phrase like nauseous hypocrisy that will then push a word's meaning in a particular direction if it has the right ring to it. It's interesting to see Noah Webster himself in 1828, his definition of nauseous says, loathsome, disgustful, disgusting, regarded with abhorrence. And that could be taken to be figurative, just as you described, Emily. But then he adds, as a nauseous drug or medicine. 
I have often found in reading older definitions, sometimes they seem to be kind of idioms rather than the plain language that we try to use today to make it clear that this is not a figurative use. But in this case, his definition seems figurative, but then his little usage example is literal. <laughs> That's funny. The word nausea, it's related to nautical. So the idea of seasickness is right in there. Well, this is an amazing thing because nautical and nausea, that the N-A-U in there. But of course, there's also the N-A-V and V and U were often interchangeable in pre-type set society. So this is the same root as the word navy, naval, and navigation because navigation means to direct your boat originally. And of course, nausea meant sick from motion. So all of these words are actually connected at their etymological root. And it makes perfect sense that you would connect these things, but they're not completely transparent. These are kind of hidden in plain sight. And of course, they're also then related to word like astronaut. That right. nought, meaning sailor, comes from the Greek nautis, yeah. meaning sailor, is the same knot that is in astronaut. Yeah. So that's yeah. A, an amazing root. Let us know what you think about Word Matters. Review us wherever you get your podcasts or email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. You can also visit us at nepm.org. And for the word of the day and all your general dictionary needs, visit merriam-webster.com. Our theme music is by Tobias Voigt. Artwork by Annie Jacobson. Word Matters is produced by John Vosey. For Amon Shea and Peter Sokolowski, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.